0: Welcome to LeGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We start our Epiphany Sermon Series, Windows on the Word. In this sermon, we look at the window of Jesus' teaching in the temple. Or is He really teaching? What does the Scripture actually say about this story? It seems to say that Jesus participated in the religious institution of His day. You're listening to Windows on the Word. Jesus in the Temple, by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 20, excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52, Luke 2, 40 through 52, and I should say that this is the beginning of a new sermon series uh, that will continue through January and February, so all the way up to the beginning of Lent. And this new sermon series, I think there's nine of them, uh, will all be from the windows. These will all be sermons about stories that you can find in the windows around us. Now, those of you who've been around a while know that back in 2014, so that was about eight years ago, I did a sermon series on the windows. But because, as I said to the children, there are 36 stories in these windows, I could do this series and another one and still not repeat. So that's good, and there will be no repeats. These are all new stories. And the story that we're focusing on today is the story in that second set of windows right there. It's Jesus as a young man, a boy, really, standing in the temple. If you can't see it, during this sermon series, we have taken the liberty of printing, in this case, part of the window on the front of your bulletin, so you can look at that. Because I will be referring to the image as we find it up there in the sermon itself. Jesus standing in the temple, what is he doing there? Listen. And the child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking among, for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favor of God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so you just heard the story. Now, um, let's look at the window here, if you can see it, or look at the front of your bulletin, if you can't, and see how it's, it's pictured. The story gets pictured in our window here. There's Jesus, and he's teaching in the temple. And you can tell that it's Jesus, even though it's a young man, because the halo has a cross, right? You know that in the windows. If the, if the, the halo has a cross in it, that means it's Jesus you're seeing. So we know it's Jesus standing there. And we know that he's teaching uh, the teachers, the rabbis, and the priests because we can tell that there's these men, and that's not on the front of your bulletin. But there's these men sitting in front of him. They look like pupils in a classroom. They're all attentively listening, and you can tell they're priests. One of them has an ephod. The one on the furthest to closest to me has an ephod, so you can tell that he's a priest. And they're all listening as as Jesus teaches them. The one on, if you can see it, the one on a little bit closer to Jesus here, sort of leaning forward, and it looks like he might be beginning to dispute with Jesus. Maybe he has a bone to pick with something Jesus said, possibly. But for the most part, they're just listening with rapt attention. Now, let me say that this window, our window, which I love, fits very well with the picture I've always had with this story growing up. I don't know if that's true for the rest of you But as I thought about this story, as it was told to me growing up, it very much fits that picture. I was also taught, in addition to Jesus teaching the rabbis, I often heard the story in the context of conflict. Sometimes, as I remember it told, Jesus came to the temple and there was conflict with the rabbis and he had to show them his greater learning and put them in their place. And if you go back through the history of art, if you look at some of the old artistic representations of this story, you often see that. Those images, those, those paintings are sometimes called the disputation with the doctors. So Jesus is standing up front and he's teaching them and the, the priests are all in an uproar and they're, they're conflicting with Jesus. So that's our image and that's how this story has been portrayed through history. And I love this window but let's ask a question. Is that window an accurate representation of what actually happens in our passage? Does that image fit with what Luke tells us in his gospel? First of all, in our story as we heard it, is there any dispute? Here's what Luke says in verse 46. After three days... They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Is there any dispute there? There is some dispute in this passage, but it's mostly Jesus with his parents, right? There is no disputation with the teachers of the law and the rabbis and the priests. Everything is cordial between Jesus and the priests in this passage. And our window mostly has that right, right? It doesn't show much dispute. But there's another way in which this window and Luke's story differ. Who is doing the teaching in our window? Obviously, Jesus, right? He's standing there in the position of an orator. You can see that in the front of your cover. He looks like the one at the front of the lecture hall. The others are all seated, they're all looking at him in rapt attention. Is that what's happening in our passage? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Who's the teacher and who's the student in this story? Jesus is the student. Jesus is the student. Jesus is not the teacher in this story. Jesus is the student. And he's come to the temple. And he's sitting at the feet of the rabbis and the teachers of the law. Now, he's an amazing student. They are all amazed at his learning. He's the best student they ever had. But this is a story where Jesus is the student. This is Jesus in catechism class. And if you don't believe me, if this sounds different from what you grew up with and you wonder, is Peter right about this? Look at how the story's framed. Verse 40 and verse 52, beginning and end of what I read today, what do they emphasize? Jesus grows in wisdom and stature. In his human parts, right, Jesus was completely human. This is a story about Jesus growing in wisdom, growing in knowledge, growing in stature. About how Jesus becomes the person God means him to be. Now, why does it matter that we get this right? Why does it matter that we learn to see Jesus as the student instead of the teacher in this story? Well, because if we miss this, we miss one of the central messages of what Luke is trying to convey. Now, Luke is trying to convey a lot of things in this story. He's trying to tell us that Jesus is special, that he's the Messiah, that the Holy Spirit is upon him, and that he's already about his Father's work. The mission of the Messiah is already already starting to take place in Jesus. Luke is trying to show us all that, but he's also trying to show us how the Holy Spirit trains Jesus and makes him grow in wisdom and stature. Luke is trying to show us how Jesus grows in knowledge and wisdom. Why does that matter? Well, if you're a person who wants to grow in your knowledge and wisdom, if you want to grow in your discipleship and your following Jesus, you should care about how Jesus grew because you're a child of God and you're part of the body of Christ. The way the Lord makes Jesus grow in wisdom and knowledge is the way that the Lord makes us grow in wisdom and knowledge. The way Jesus grows in wisdom and knowledge is the way we would have our children grow In wisdom and knowledge. So, how does the Holy Spirit grow Jesus? In this story, we see that the Spirit grows Jesus through the use of institutions and their leaders and teachers, their rituals, their customs, their traditions. This story reminds us of the importance of institutions with their teachings and their leaders, and their rituals, and their customs in building faith in us and building faith in the next generation. Part of the reason we have such a hard time seeing Jesus as the student in this passage is because we know all those stories that are coming down the pike in the Gospels, all those times where Jesus will fight with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the priests. And those stories um, are, some, he may be some of these men who are sitting with him cordially in this picture, three years, or excuse me, 20 years from now, maybe the exact same ones who are fighting with him. So we know those stories of conflict where Jesus tells those parables and they try to trip him up. And so we read that back onto this story. But that isn't the way it starts out. Luke, in his gospel, goes out of his way to show that Jesus is a person who respects traditions and authorities and follows the customs of a good Jew. Luke tells us that eight days after he was born, Jesus was circumcised like a good Jew. When he was just a little older, his parents took him to the temple again for the rite of purification. That's the story where he met Simeon and Anna, according to the instructions of Exodus 13. When they went to the temple for the purification, they brought the offering prescribed by the law in Leviticus 13, two doves. In chapter 2, verse 39, the verse right before our passage started, Luke goes out of his way to say that Mary and Joseph raised Jesus according to all the laws of the Old Testament. They kept all the rules in the raising of their son. And now in our story, why are Mary and Joseph in Jerusalem? To observe the Passover, as was their custom. Jesus was part of the institutions of Judaism He submitted himself to them, and those institutions were the way that the Holy Spirit, the way the Father raised him and helped him to grow in wisdom and knowledge. He was not some sort of revolutionary who overturned these institutions or blew them up. Of course, later he would come into conflict with them, but he was a man who respected traditions, who believed experts, who listened to old teachings. Of course, Jesus' relationship with these old teachings is complicated. He didn't just accept them unchallenged. As he grows and he realizes that some of the teachings are corrupt, he absolutely challenges those teachings. And of course, in his death and his resurrections, he totally changes the institution of the temple. The curtain in the temple where Jesus is standing as a 12-year-old will be torn in two at the moment of his death, which will totally change that institution forever. But that moment is not a repudiation of the temple. It is a fulfillment. Jesus is not simply overturning the old ways. He is fulfilling them. What does that mean for us as we think about how we learn and how we grow as Christians? We love, as modern people, uh, when when it comes to growing and, and becoming fully human, where do we like to look as we seek to grow. Well, our culture teaches us to follow your heart. The locus of growth is you look inside yourself, and if you look inside yourself and follow yourself and are authentic to yourself, that's how you grow. And so you have a lot of young people who grow on these Journeys of self-discovery, right? You go on a trip after you're done high school or after you're done college and you spend six months somewhere and and it's a way to sort of reflect in yourself and grow. Now let me say, I'm not against looking into your heart nor am I against journeys of self-discovery, okay? There is something good about paying close attention to your inner voice of your conscience and there is something good about experiencing new things out there in the world. That is not the only, nor is it the best, way to learn who you are. Scripturally, and this is very unpopular in the modern world, scripturally, what we hear is a really good way to find yourself is commit yourself to an institution. Attach yourself to a group of people. Practice their customs. Steep yourself in their learning. Practice their rituals. Submit yourself along with everyone else who's submitting with you mutually. And that's the way the Holy Spirit grows you. I know I've told this story before, but it's worth mentioning again. When I was in seminary, I was once given a grade of C on my life. My professor gave me a grade of C on my life. Now, this is not completely fair to my professor. The assignment was that I was supposed to write down my testimony. I was supposed to write down the ways in which God had changed me and made me a disciple of him, and I was supposed to memorize that story so that if I ran into someone who was an unbeliever, I could share my story with them, my life story, and they may find it compelling. So I wrote my story. And what I told them was, the reason I'm a Christian is because of all the the practices of the wonderful people and institutions in my life who were so faithful to me, which is the true story of why I'm a Christian. My parents bring me to church every Sunday. My mom sitting beside me on my bedside praying with me at night. My dad reading the Bible at the dinner table night after night after night, and all of us praying together. My faithful Christian school teachers teaching me that faith fed into all parts of life. My Sunday school teachers with their flannel graph, Jesus, teaching me those old stories. My faithful ministers, Reverend Solomons and Reverend Van Nienhuis, who were good, good guys, who knew my name. So I wrote that up. I said, it was all this that, that made me a Christian, that gave me roots in Jesus Christ. And my professor found it rather dull and gave me a C. Now, my friends who got A's, guess what their lives were like? They did drugs in high school and they turned around at some point or their family life was a mess and it was hard and somehow Jesus helped them through that and they wrote those stories out and they were great stories and they got an A and it left me wondering if only I had done drugs in high school. If only my family had just been a catastrophic mess, but poor me, God chose to surround me with great people and good institutions where I was connected and where I learned. We love stories of large, unexpected movements of God, and those are great stories. And praise the Lord when those movements happen. And there are lots of stories of large, unexpected movements of God in our windows. There's one right beside the the 12-year-old Jesus. There's Jesus getting baptized in the River Jordan. That's a very different kind of story, right? The heavens open up and the voice of God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's a powerful movement of God that is miraculous and spectacular. And it's way more exciting than catechism class. But the Spirit moves in Catechism Class 2. The heavens may not open, but when you participate in the institution and its rituals, the Spirit moves. Through the regular worship of God's people, however that happens, here or online, with you and your family, the Spirit moves. When you and your household bow before your dinner and faithfully pray to your Lord together, Spirit moves through the institution of the family. In our church school classes, in our youth group meetings, in book clubs and Bible studies, in elders' visits, in committee meetings, when we recite the Lord's Supper together, excuse me, when we recite the Apostles' Creed together, when we eat the Lord's Supper together, the Spirit moves. And we are grown in wisdom and in stature, and in our likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we move into this new year, I sincerely hope that you will have moments where God moves in your life in spectacular and ways that are, that are, that are unmissable, vivid ways, like the heavens opening up and the voice of God speaking to you. I sincerely hope you have some of those moments But I also hope that you will find many, many moments where you attach yourself to the great institutions that God has put in your life and that you will contribute and receive and that through those institutions, the Holy Spirit will grow you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this body, these people. Lord, we complain about the church sometimes. Sometimes we do it a lot. And Lord, we know that um, there are many stories of institutional failure in our families and in our churches and, and in the, the institutions that you've given us, Lord. But Lord, there is also grace. Lord, I pray that you would make your church strong, that you'll make our families strong, that you'll make our schools strong, and that in all these places, your spirit may move and your people may grow. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.